What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast, T-Y-D-H-C Media. Mm -hmm. If you're on YouTube, my name's Ethan. And my name's Derry. And we are talking about hell. We're going to be covering eternal conscious torment today, the most traditional Mm -hmm. view in at least America, maybe the world, unless I don't know about Eastern Orthodox uh, beliefs. Recently, at least the most original view. Recently, as in at least the last 10 years minimum yeah um at least since i've been alive yeah uh if you (laughs) grow up in america or the west or anywhere maybe Mm -hmm. in your lifetime and you're listening to this and you're live and it's 2022 you probably grew up with this view this is called the most traditional view it's the idea that um if you die and you're not saved you go to hell forever um, so we're going to be talking about this. It's in our series of Forever. hell, our three-part series about hell and what hell is, covering um, eternal conscious torment, annihilationism slash conditional immortality, and eternal uh, restoration. And so uh, by way of reminder, just be aware that we're just covering these topics. I might challenge you, might offend you. That's good. Check your heart. See why they offend you. Um, and seek truth. You know, Proverbs 18, 17 says there's one who states his case first seems right until the other comes along and examines him. So one argument seems right until you hear another, right? Kind of like the whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard situation. You know, you've got to hear both sides and don't date girls who poop on your bed. There was literally, there was no time in that trial that there was another side that needed to be heard that was going to make her like more right. Like there's never been evidence presented that that like gives her more light in her side yeah no it's it was terrible example (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so we're today we're gonna be covering that topic and then at the end we're gonna go over like what we think what like our view of everything is um our view on what hell is how long it is all that kind of stuff what the purpose of it is and then um, we really wanted to get like a, a scholar on to talk about every single one of these uh, views. And we got two people like you have heard if you've heard other episodes. Um, we got two people, awesome people for the other two views, um, but we couldn't find anybody for this one. We asked the most people and no one wanted well, to come on and defend it. Well, we got about ghosted. It. <laughs> yeah, we did. We got ghosted for one of them. We messaged some people and never heard back. Yeah, but we, we asked some pretty big name people. Um, and some people got back to us and just said no. Some people didn't respond at all. Um, so just no one wanted to cover the topic in general. So here we are. We're just going to be covering it ourselves. It's not the most complicated um, thing. I think it would be more complicated if we were going to do like a debate or something like that. Yeah, where people sure. were going to debate back and forth the topics. But I think since everybody kind of knows the position already pretty well, it's pretty easy that we can cover it ourselves. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's what we're going to be doing real quick here at the mm-hmm. beginning and then talking about all the other juicy stuff. So want to get into it? Yes, sir. So you want to start with what the view is and then talk a little bit about the historical um, findings of it. I know that you know a little bit more about the history um, of it than I do, I think. So maybe if you want to touch on that a bit, yeah. but yeah. So the basic yeah. view, like we stated in the beginning is if you die, you go to hell forever, suffering eternally. It's never ending punishment. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what hell would be. right and this is a pretty um pretty old view just like all the views are old um if you something that people don't like to hear a lot is that our idea of heaven and hell have evolved a lot from the early days to now um 
and by early days, I mean like Old Testament, like the philosophy behind what hell was, was very different um, in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. And you can see that progression like pretty clearly within scripture. Now that doesn't mean that they are actually different things. So don't get mad at me by, when I say that. But if you ask scholars, they'll tell you there's a pretty clear progression philosophically in like what is communicated by God about the afterlife from the Old New Testament. Those things don't conflict with each other, I don't think. But there's a clear evolution in the understanding of like how much information they have about that thing and what's societally inferred from the people and what is from God, like in scripture, if that makes sense. So <clears throat> when you get to the New Testament, we've got three pretty established views. Um, the three of the views that we've mentioned, right? Um, conditional immortality, um, restoration that everybody's restored, and then torment forever, right? And those are like kind of the three views we have. Some people also didn't believe that there was any afterlife at all, but that wasn't a very popular view. Um, and it kind of got lumped into some of the other ones at times too. Um, but those are like the three main schools of thought. So they're all original to Jesus's time, right? So you can't really write any of them off because of that reason. And we talked about, if you've listened in to the other episodes, we've gone over a little bit of the history of which one of them was the most popular and which one was accepted and when different uh, ones changed and gained popularity. Um, but around Jesus's time and through the first and second century, um, you see mostly restoration being the most popular view among, among the nine um, different churches, right, that are in the early church. And uh, seven of the nine churches believed in restoration. One of the nine churches believed in um, eternal torment, and then one believed in annihilation. And so the most popular view was restoration. Um, and then as time evolved, different ones gained and lost more popularity. Um, of course, we've talked about in other episodes with um, Christianity becoming the main religion of Rome. Um, eternal conscious torment became the mainly um, politically held view of I guess politically and spiritually held view of both the people in the church um, and the, the empire itself. So uh, that's why it gained popularity and that's why it hasn't really been challenged since that, um, that time, that sixth century, fifth century area. Um, and here we are today with that view because it was very much so popularized in uh, that time. And here we have it now. So that's about yeah. like a very brief summary of the history of eternal conscious torment. Um, lots of, Lots more we can go into there, especially with uh, Augustine and everything, but we'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, so that uh, I like what you talked about, how all three are viable in the New Testament and held. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing, right? We don't want to disrespect any of the views or disrespect people because they hold these views. Some people think this is a core tenet of the gospel on what you believe in mm -hmm. hell and determines if you're saved or not. And so in my research, I ran across a guy who thought it was heretical to believe anything other than eternal conscious torment, which I think is a bit much to say, you know. Depends on the definition of heresy. Yeah, That's but it. he thought it was like changing the gospel. He quoted Galatians, yeah. um, all that good stuff. Got him. But yeah, so I want to get into some verses that, oh, I want to get into verses that defend the view. But before we get yeah. to that, um, I want to read something that I found on an article from pathos.com written by this guy named John Fry. He was talking about the different views of hell, or he was specifically talking about eternal conscious torment. And it's a quote by this guy named Denny Burke, who defends eternal conscious torment in the book called The Four Views of Hell. Mm. Um, and he says, sin is measured not by the sin itself, but by who is sinned against. He writes that it is a theological principle that 
To sin against an infinitely glorious being is an infinitely heinous offense that is worthy of infinitely heinous punishment. And so that idea kind of is why people believe that hell will be eternal. You know, that like you sinned against an infinite God, therefore you deserve an infinite punishment. What do you think about that? Um, let's talk about it then when we talk about like our, our, our own definitions. Our yeah, because I'm going to go For off. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go there yet. I'm not triggered. <laughs> Darius is so pissed off right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's so like, a good quote. That, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to share that because it kind of helps people understand um, like why people believe this view or why it is popularized, right? And I've heard that when I talk to people too, is like, well, God's infinite. Yeah. And so you sin against an infinite God. And so at least from a philosophical sense, it's a, uh, evidence mm-hmm. for it, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into some of them Bible verses. Yeah. So the first one we got, or at least I have, I don't know how many uh, dairy has, I have four verses that I came across um mm. that and there's many more verses that people try to use to defend eternal conscious I have, torment i have 10 yeah was it the 10 most powerful ones that are classically used um 10 foundational yeah yeah is it yeah. probably is it straight by the same from the guy, gospel coalition no straight from the gospel coalition okay 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 um so some verses i found the first one would be tell me if you have this as well john 5 28 through 29 Let's see if the Gospel Coalition is up on their work. They don't have that one. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, Uh-oh. we're actually trying to help. We're actually helping. We're strong. We can, we can help them. I'm gonna send them an email. <laughs> help them out. Hey, you should hey change guys. to eleven foundational verses. We Your research is lacking. <laughs> I don't know if you've read the Gospel of John before, but I got news for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this one says uh, it's Jesus talking, and it's basically the whole, um, uh, the whole subject or the whole context of this area is jesus and his authority and so he gets done talking about jesus has the power or in him is life and the father has life and god plays in jesus life and he's like don't marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the his voice being god and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment and people will say that judgment then is eternal conscious torment. So that's uh, one view that I've heard uh, in the debates and the research I was watching that they mm-hmm. try to use to say that, yes, yeah, so you're, you're not going to be annihilated because it doesn't say you're waking or resurrecting to annihilation. And it doesn't say you're resurrecting to a purifying fire. It says you're resurrecting to a judgment. Now, the problem is, I think they're reading their interpretation. You can't start breaking about the argument already if you're explaining it. Okay. Well. <laughs> I mean, you can if you want. <laughs> well, I was just thinking like, here's the verse that supports really... it. Problem is, it doesn't. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I don't. I don't really have much to say about this because I'm just like, well. No, I, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. They use this verse to say you're resurrecting. We'll, we'll, come, back, judgment. we'll come back to it for sure. We'll come, we'll come back. back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to take a verse? No, no, you go on. Okay. Tell me if you have this one too. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Oh, baby, they do have, yeah, got it. All right. So we know this is Gospel Coalition um, backed. Coalition. Coalition yeah. backed. And John supported. Piper, baby. Johnny Pipes. We yep. should have him on the show to talk about this. That'd be great. I would, I'd do it if we could. That'd be fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? Uh, we peak. That's it. <laughs> I don't know if that's peaking. But... No, it's not. It'd be cool. Okay. So the verse says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on its forehand or is on his hand, 
He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Now, nice. I know Revelation is super, uh, has a lot of imagery in it, right? Mm-hmm. And we could, there's so much that we could talk about, like, what is the mark of the beast that, you know, um, I thought it was interesting that the Bible verse says that they will suffer in the presence of the lamb, because the next verse I'm going to mm-hmm. read talks about how um, they'll suffer away from the presence of the Lord. So it's kind of funny. Right. Um, yeah. But, and it's not a contradiction, okay, guys out there, you uh, skeptics out there, that's just saying Revelation is more imagery than it is literal, probably. Yes. Um, but I will say something that I, that I think this verse is strong in that I haven't really thought through a lot, and I want to, is that it says they will have no rest day mm. or night. Yeah. Which would mean, okay, like they, they're not resting, they have no rest day or night. And it goes up forever and ever. I wouldn't be surprised if forever and ever is an English translation of Ionis, but I didn't check it, it out. Okay. Um, yeah, and they have no rest day or night. So that's like really interesting to me where I'm like, oh, okay. Me being of my persuasion that we'll discuss later, or maybe we've already talked about in a previous podcast. It was a long time ago when I was in Hawaii. Don't remember what I said back then. Um, hmm. I do have, I do, I, I know I definitely want to explore that idea more about like, okay, how do I reconcile they have no rest day or night in mm-hmm. my view. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Wait, were you asking me a question? No, I was just stating a fact oh. like, Oh yeah, this is this. I think this is some, this is one of the verses I'm like, Oh, okay. I didn't, that's a good, that's, that helps their case. I'm like, that, that's good for them. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Another verse that goes kind of right along with that is Isaiah 66, 22. Uh-huh. And 24. Uh-huh. I don't um, have that one, but I did read that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the new heavens, the new earth. Um, oops. Sorry. For the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. Um, so shall your offspring and your name remain for, uh, for new moon and new, for new moon to new moon and from salvation to sal- or Sabbath to Sabbath. I can't read today. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me for their, uh, for their worms shall not die, nor fire shall be quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Mm-hmm. Classic. All right. Yeah. I remember as a kid, like thinking about hell, and literally I would think of worms every single time just because of that verse that I had read before. Man, that's I crazy. I just thought about fire. I never really envisioned fire that much in hell, but yeah, definitely. That's all it is. It's just like, people crying and suffering and being, like, I think about being burned. Like, I was, when I did welding, I'd be burned. I'd be like, ah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, that all over. Oh, Just all pals. Ah. I think it's a little bit worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, the third verse I have, let me know if you have this as well. Second Thessalonians 1 8. Uh, but this is actually five through uh, nine, I'll be reading. Oh, have not have. One. Not have. All oh, wait, right. second Thessalonians. I have one, five, and ten. One, five, and ten? One, five through ten. Sorry. Oh, me too. Well, nine. Twins. Keep going. Uh Uh, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. 
since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away mm. from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Mm. So that's Paul talking to Thessalonians and he's greeting them. And he's like, just got done saying, Hey, what's up? I'm so thankful for you guys. And then he's right. like, you're suffering. I understand we're yeah. suffering too don't worry we win in the end i would say in general that's probably paul saying like hey guys we win in the end keep on fighting but yeah. it is interesting that it says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction which is that ionis again i'm not sure i have to look at it okay and it says away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his might mm, yeah yep okay i got a few more verses too then we can move on but i think it's important that we keep reading these to see like what scripture says about it um, yeah. there's one big chunk from Matthew 18, six and nine, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but the context is like causing someone to stumble or a child to stumble, millstone around your neck, you should be drowned. And then yeah. your, your eye causing you to sin, you pluck it out, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it says, um, it would be better for you, um, to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet, um, to be thrown into the et eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hellfire. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty clear. And then Which uh, I'm, I'm going to be excited to talk about these in context and what they mean, because there's a lot of good biblical truth for our life. Oh, right yeah. Now. Bigger than oh, yeah. just what hell is. You know, this is this goes into Christian living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Daniel 12, one and two um, at the end. I think everybody knows this verse. Um, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame of everlasting contempt. Mm -hmm. That is actually a verse. I, um, I, it came out on my TikTok at some point about someone talking about it. And because I know that we don't, um, see eye to eye on what hell is, I was like, I wonder what Derry's view on this is. Um, but I think I would, I think I would, could figure it out. Um, looking into it, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to ask about that later. Uh, yeah. One, do you have another verse? Cause I have one more verse I want to hit that I do think might be one of the yeah, best verses that they have to defend their view. Yeah, dude, don't, don't not let me in with them. Maybe I'm in a trunk on torment. Maybe. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. So this uh, scripture coming up is probably in my, it's in my opinion, the strongest verse they have to defend eternal conscious torment and something that I, I think I can interpret it to help my understanding, but it is definitely something that is, we should look at. So this is first Corinthians six, nine through 11. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually, sexually immoral, the, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revival, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I want to include that last part because if you just leave off of the will not inherit the kingdom of God, it's like, oh, that's everyone he just named ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which again, has stuff to do with Christian living that I would love to talk about. But Mm -hmm. um 
because this isn't necessarily about hell, it's about the kingdom of God. It's really interesting because it says the, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. And so I'm like, hmm, that seems co- to conflict with like maybe the, the view of restoration, unless the hmm. restorationist would say, well, yeah, they won't because one day they'll repent and they'll enter the kingdom of God, you know, yeah. which is probably yes. what they would say. Yeah. Um, but definitely something I was like, at first I was like, huh, that seems like, it's hard to misinterpret that, you know, it's yeah. like, you don't get in the kingdom of God if you're practicing these things. Yeah. Definitely. And I will say before we get into it, if you're struggling with this thing, but your heart is to follow God, that's not you. It says these who practice these, who are like, yeah, who like these things, who Dude, there's nothing things. more, there's nothing more like, um, nerve wracking as like a high schooler or a junior higher who just starts reading the Bible <laughs> than reading like parts of Paul's letters. Cause you just have no idea what's going on. And you're just like, you're reading by yourself and one day you just come across verses like this and you're like i'm going to hell forever <laughs> yeah 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 it's especially if you're like battling lust and you're like messed up the night before and you're like yeah oh my gosh i'm going to hell <laughs> i'm continually sinning i'm definitely going to hell yeah yeah it's like well yeah. well let's let's check your heart if your heart's not you yeah. know because i love i love that it says such were some of you but you were washed and you were sanctified and were mm. justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and i'm like that's it that's that's where we're like the burdens lifted we're like ah oh, i'm washed mm-hmm. in the blood have you been bathed in the blood bathed in the blood brother <laughs> classic all righty is there anything else you want to say about the the view of eternal conscious torment um i do want to get some of the, yeah i would say i want to give a defense uh philosophically about some of their stuff oh let's uh, do it things yeah. i think I things that. that they would say uh, yeah. Is there any more verses you want to talk about? We touched like maybe one or two of your. No, they all pretty much uh, kind of go over the same things again and again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, so... Actually, one thing that we already covered in previous episodes that I would just mention because we already talked about it, but just to throw it in there because it is something um, the parable of Lazarus and the imagery of him going to hell and and uh, him never being able to like warn other people about how terrible it is and all that kind of stuff is is evidence as well we don't have to talk about it because we talked about it on previous episodes but yeah mm-hmm. there's i submit that to the court as well which really that could work in conditional immortality shut up dude we're not talking about that <laughs> the other views right now all, all of my research today i just thought that doesn't contradict i just <laughs> I, I was like i just imagine talking to someone they're saying see and i'm like Yep. You're biased. We get it. Yeah. I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> so philosophically, um, let's kind of, maybe we can call it steel man, or I just want to be honest and like do honest oh, assessment yeah. in defense of it. I don't want to like steel man. And, like, this is the best argument you can make. And this is why it's wrong. And I want to more or less be like, no, yeah, that's what they it. would say. You know, let's talk steel about man. honest assessment. No, I don't want a steel man. I want to give an honest assessment of. No, dude, we, that is steel manning it. Okay, sure. Steel man. Yeah. We're making um, their argument as good as it could be. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, the, a lot of people say it's unloving and unjust of God to punish sin uh, forever that someone committed in a not eternal, not infinite state, right? Yeah. Does the crime fit the punishment, right? Or does the punishment fit the crime where it's like, okay, you were morally like average as a human being and you were law-abiding but you never confessed jesus christ as your lord and now you're going to suffer eternally how Mm. is that just how is god fair in that what do you what do you say about that um yeah i mean there's just the classic answers that everybody always gives like 
Mm -hmm. I, we already talked about it, right? That if you sin against an eternal God, like you reap an eternal punishment. And we can talk about the implications of that being philosophically sound or not. But I think that's the most like classic retort is mm -hmm. like, yeah, like how could you, like God is perfect. Like if you sin against something that's perfect, you're now not perfect. And you could never be in the presence of a perfect being again until you're made not perfect. But you've chosen not to be with God. That's like what he's let you do with his free will or with your free will and his free will. And so you made a choice on this earth and now you're going to bear the eternal consequences because God is an eternal God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I would say also that I think this mind, this one I'm about to share, I think is a good mindset to adopt in your whole of life. And I think for eternal conscious torment, people can be applied to their argument as well. Um, it's that this universe is God's like he owns mm. it and he set the rules for it. And, you know, because of that, well, he didn't God set the rules for it, but yeah, he is the rules for it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'd throw a dilemma okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and god and therefore god can do whatever he wants and in my opinion i think god can do whatever he wants and he's blameless because he's the creator you know he's the one who now there's i know some moral people or some philosophical things out there but on my mind yeah. i'm like look god owns us all he owns everything if he wants to do whatever he wants with us as he see fit as he sees fit I can't complain. This is, mm -hmm. I'm not my own. This is God's universe. Um, and we don't get to point the finger at God and say he's done anything wrong. So if for whatever reason, God's like, well, uh, not for whatever, reason, for whatever reason, say the moral person who does live a normal, average law-abiding life, doesn't follow Jesus, but pays their taxes, tries to raise their kids well, and dies and goes to hell. And you'd be like, well, God, how's that just? How's that kind? It's like, well, God's rule for getting to heaven is that you confess your sins and you repent and he didn't do that. So he doesn't get to come to heaven. And you know, that's God set the standard. The standard is yet to be in, in with Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, God is God and he can do what he wants and we can't say anything else about it. Cause we don't yeah. set the stage. It's very Job esque, right? Like we may not understand, but God gets to, rule the world how he wants to even if we don't mm -hmm. kind of get how he does it right yeah it's kind of actually honestly helped me have a lot of peace with things where i'm just mm -hmm. like if i'm gonna be upset about the, like i was reading listening to a book the other day and one of the characters was like you know we just play the cards we're dealt in life and i'm like mm -hmm. i kind of have that kind of mentality things like yeah like mm -hmm. god set my course and i'm just i'm on it yeah and whatever I, happens happens yeah i don't like that philosophical line of reasoning that you said at the beginning but mm -hmm. I think it is what people would say that are a strong conscious torment people. But we'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the other one, uh, what we talked about a couple times, is that like you sin against an infinite God, therefore your punishment mm -hmm. should be infinite. But also one of you I didn't know before is that the the idea of eternal conscious torment is that those in hell like aren't like they're not in hell thinking, man, I messed up. I, I should have done better. The, it's like they died in their hate for God and therefore they're continually in their hate for God, thus continuing to sin and thus continuing to incur more judgment on themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's this eternal cycle of, I hate God, that's a sin, I'm being punished. I hate God, it's a sin, I'm being punished. Which yeah. I think makes, that's probably one of the better arguments or under or explanations of their view I've heard where it's like, hmm. yeah, like people die, people don't go to heaven because they hate God and because they hate God, they'll never love God because they didn't love him when they had the ability to and now they're mm -hmm. dying their sin and they'll just continue to sin snowball yeah yeah 
Well, yeah, we'll talk about that again too. Mm-hmm. Um, very good, nice. I would say one of the biggest um, arguments for a strong conscious torment is how much history it has on its side, right? Like 1500 years of like, this is what the church has pretty much mainline believed. Of course, there's different parts of the Orthodox church that have kind of strayed in different places, not strayed, but like believed different things mm-hmm. here or there. And then these views have not like died. They've just been very not popular for a long time because of how popular original conscious torment has been. Um, so I think that definitely is, is it's not known at no evidence but it is it is an amount of evidence for yeah it's not yeah yeah years sure. of history is a long time that's like a lot of smart people who've gone through the church and have had time to read and study the bible in different ways of course and decide what they mm-hmm. think about it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's a it's a big deal yep big deal it's not, a, deal. It's not a small thing to if say i had 1500 years to talk about it like yeah it's like if you disagree with us you're just going against like everyone ever in the last yeah century or millennium and a half it's like oh yeah but such did if the you, only, if you only use that it would be a logical fallacy but i think it is evidence for the view in a, yeah. in a way for sure yeah who knows maybe down the road me and you will end up even more one of the, one of the three maybe we'll, we'll change sides one day you know there's so, so much, much. Yeah. so many arguments on all the sides yeah all right well should we get into what we think about it uh yeah yeah let's hear your um what you think and what your responses are to some of the things we talked about you don't have to hit all the verses or all the philosophical points but Mm. as much as you want to talk go for it yeah um so for everybody that has been our introduction to the three different topics um our views of hell um i guess you could say there's a fourth one as like it doesn't exist or something like that um, I'd like to make it clear that on all of these three views, hell exists and people who don't accept Christ all go there. So they're all um, in line with what scripture says about Christ being the only mediator, the only way to God, the father, right? Um, they all like have Jesus being on the cross for the same reason. They all have the same justification um, for our sins, uh, from our sins, right? Um, so nothing really changes about those things. All it is, is what happens to people who don't accept Christ um, after they die, right? Or if they don't accept Christ before they die, sorry. Okay, so now we're past all of that. I would say my view is um, one of a little bit of intellectual agnosticism where like, I don't think the, the Bible, get, like if I had to like sentence someone to death on this, um, if that is like a good analogy to use, like I'm on a jury and like this person is going to die if I choose like one way or the other. Um, I don't think I could make a judgment because I just don't think there's enough evidence given for any of the sides necessarily. Um, it, it's so like, it's so much of it is just up in the air because of history and things not being clear and what certain words absolutely always meaning being super clear and there being evidence Um for all of the views that's uh, fairly strong. I would say when it comes to all three views, if I had to rank them though, I would say eternal conscious torment has the least amount of evidence and the verses that are used can pretty easily be explained as like you're reading the Bible incorrectly, you should read it this way. Um, I think I think there's lots of people who are awesome who will believe in eternal conscious torment um, and they have their philosophies and justifications for it um, and they'll, 
they have what they genuinely think the Bible says about it. And I think that's awesome. And if that's how they're convinced, that's cool. I, I see the least amount of evidence for it, but um, yeah, I see, I see the most conflict being between annihilation and total uh, restoration, right? Um, or eternal restoration. And I think biblically there's much more evidence for restoration than there is annihilation but i think there definitely is interesting verses that i can't explain from an annihilate from a, a restoration standpoint um but i think there's more verses that you can't explain from a um annihilate or from an annihilation standpoint which is why i think i would tend more towards restoration um but i think it's just like calvinism and arminianism like what part depending on what part of the bible you're going to be reading is is the one you're going to choose that day. You know what I mean? Like, in, unless you know a lot about soteriology and what all the verses mean, if you just read the Bible plainly, like if you read a certain part of the Bible that is very free willy, like you're going to probably be an Armenian that day. If free willy. you read a part of the Bible that's, yeah, that's very like predestination-y, like you're going to probably be a little more Calvinist that day, um, if that makes sense. Even serious scholars do the same thing all the time. And so I would say neither of them is cut and dry. Like, uh, annihilation or restoration is true. I think there are less problems with restoration biblically than there are um, with annihilation, but I don't think either of them is very implausible. Um, I think philosophically, total conscious torment has some really big problems that have been ex tried to be explained away like really poorly um, by philosophy, and I don't see good answers for them. Um, besides like we just don't know being the answer. Um, I see a lot better philosophical arguments for annihilation and restoration um, with restoration having easily the strongest philosophical case for it um, of any of the views, um, which is why I also like it. I think also restoration has the strongest historical view, if, especially if you wanna say like, if Christ didn't address it and it was the most popular view in the early church, right? Then you can, you can come to assume pretty fast that most likely when Paul and these other new Testament writers are, are penning the new Testament, they statistically very likely have a view of restoration as they're as they're writing the new Testament. It would be in the minority to say that they had um, a conscious torment or an annihilation view because it was such a niche view at the time. Um, at least from from my understanding, it doesn't mean that it, it had to be that way. Um, they definitely could have held the other views. It just seems scripturally to me like they didn't and, and historically like they didn't statistically mm -hmm. also. It wouldn't make sense to me. Um, doesn't mean it can't be, but it just seems like mathematically it makes sense that they were restorationists, or at least that Paul was a restorationist mm -hmm. by mostly by what he wrote because um, he talks about it the most. So I would say I don't, I would say I strongly hope for restoration. And I think every Christian should. Um, I don't think I can tell you like from a pulpit, this is what's going to happen and like preach at someone and be like, God is going to restore everybody on the last day. This is going to happen and like create like a sermon series out of it necessarily. I think if I was ever to teach about it or tell someone about it, I would say, this is what I hope is going to happen. And this is what I more so see in scripture, but these other options are definitely seem to be like biblical and, um, if you believe in them, I think you're still a Christian. I think you're like being in, in having integrity in um, your research and stuff like that, right? I think they're legitimate Christian views that you can hold. Um, 
yeah so i would say that's sort of my view sort of an agnostic but uh, a hopeful restorationist i guess but i mm-hmm. man if i get to heaven which i by all means i think i'm going um <laughs> by all the by all the <laughs> biblical definitions I, I hope or else i don't know what, what else i need to do well you um, will go insurance of faith that's what we have on everybody else yeah um so <laughs> <laughs> So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised when I get to heaven if, if people in hell are annihilated after a while or if they're there forever. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I would have a, probably a, a much greater understanding when I'm there. I also wouldn't be surprised if everybody's restored. That would be the least surprising thing for me because yeah. that's the one I kind of see more mm-hmm. clearly. Um, yeah, so that's my, my overall view. Do you want to talk about your view of what it is and then we together can go into some of the different verses and responding and the different philosophies or do you want me yeah. to just go into them now oh yeah i can share mine um yeah. i think if i was uh well if when i arrive in heaven um i also like i said like you said we think every christian should want total restoration that's that means everyone gets to heaven and you know like if you don't want that there's something fundamentally fundamentally yeah. wrong. Your will is not aligned with God's will because God says clearly yeah. many times in scripture, my desire, my will is for all people to be saved. Right, right. right. First Peter or second Peter, one of the Peters, read them both, yeah. they're good. And it says, yeah. I desire that God, God desires and not that no one should perish, but all should have eternal life, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think though, in my view, I just, I can't get on board with, as much as I would like eternal conscious or eternal restoration to be true, I can't get on board with it um, just because of like different things where I'm like, like, like that Corinthians verse. Right. And I know it's like, well, it's a purifying fire and you're going to purge and you'll, I'm like, yeah, I understand that view, but I just, I don't know something inside of me just, just settles more in the annihilation view. And I also would probably tell someone like, I can't, no one can concretely say this is what it is. Like there's, people who've written many books about this and many scholars all unanimously agree the bible's pretty quiet on this stuff so you can't say definitely what it is and maybe and steve greg says maybe that means that jesus because he's not so concerned with it maybe we shouldn't be so concerned with it which a lot of people will say jesus talked about hell more than anything else i think that's debatable more than anything else i've heard people say that which more than any more than anyone else sure maybe anyone else is better but not more than anything else no because the kingdom of god is his main message um yeah but yeah it's just like yeah all the verses i I read all the verses and i can i can see that all those could be interpreted through the lens of annihilation and not be compromised Mm -hmm. um and i feel like the it makes sense with the eternal even if the ionis means like ages upon ages kind of like the horizon on the ocean like we think it goes forever but it doesn't i even think it doesn't compromise there one thing i think that gives it a lot of strength uh an argument i think gives annihilation a lot of strength is that eternal life is only promised to those who are saved yeah right so for me that's what i'm like ooh, that's almost a nail in the coffin where i'm like okay that kind of says like yeah you don't get to be alive you don't get to enjoy this thing that god's creating if you like aren't saved and this is like the period in which we are saved um i'm sure there's some verses that eternal uh well actually maybe maybe throw some maybe you can throw some eternal restoration verses on me or total restoration Mm -hmm. verses at me and i we we can try to discuss them but yeah i just think 
annihilation has a lot of good solid biblical evidence um i think it holds the justice and mercy of god in equal balance right mm-hmm. where sometimes i i think some people not saying this is you but i think some people become uh total restoration based on emotion where it's like i don't want everyone oh, yeah. to suffer so i'll agree with this i'm like that's just not the best mm-hmm. reason to be it but people can say that about me they're like well ethan you don't want to think about people suffering forever so you just want them annihilated and i'm like well yes maybe. and to be clear for everybody the emotional response isn't no evidence it is an amount of evidence but it's just not very strong yeah what would you say if someone said it's not evidence based on the Bible saying the heart is deceitful above all else? So all emotions are deceitful above all else. I thought I was I restored so. to Christ and <laughs> now he's like, he's given me good like versions of those things. Right. Like I love him with my emotions. Like, is that also deceitful? That's fair. That's a good, that's a good counter argument. I would yeah. say, how, how do you know the, what do you say? I said, do you know what I mean? Oh, I thought, I thought you said something like, <laughs> I thought you were like, were like boom or something like that. No. I was sorry. like, oh. <laughs> no, there definitely are emotions that we have that are very deceitful. I'm not right, saying all I of think, them are good. Well, yeah. Well, I just think sometimes people will make theologies out of emotional situations where I'm like, that's not. Hmm. You shouldn't if, do that. someone, if someone's child died and they didn't know if they're going to heaven or not, and that person looked into restoration or annihilation to because of an emotional response, and you told them their heart was deceiving them because they were trying to do that, you would be a crazy person and they would never want to talk to you again. Well, they might not want to ever talk to me again, but don't you think that in some regard, it's like, just because a bad situation happened doesn't mean it changes a theological matter. I mean, because someone could say, someone would say, why does Hitler deserve to be in heaven? He murdered mm. all those people. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think we're talking about two different things a little bit. Within okay. this context, the emotional thing, just because it happened in at like a certain point doesn't mean like theology is outside of like a time right it's who god is the understanding Mm -hmm. of god that never changes right and so we have to take into account when we're talking about theology the emotional experiences that happen right it doesn't change facts necessarily but it's part of the facts right and so if if you were trying to understand god completely outside of our emotional experience with him you wouldn't have a good theology because god's created us with emotions to experience i agree with that you have so you have to take life in its fullest of we have emotions, we have logic, we use both to understand who God is, right? Yeah. To form our theology. Just with your statement about like someone loses someone. And like, I would think like if they became a restorationist because of a loss, mm-hmm. I don't think that's good. Because I'm like, now you're just letting your emotions determine what your theological view of hell is. Your Bible study and your your studying of the word and being convinced of uh, and being convicted of truth should determine what you believe theologically it shouldn't be like oh man like this bad thing happened to me so now like it has to this has to be the answer so i can have some semblance of right ha- of hope but it's like well you, i understand and i empathize with that and because like we've all lost family members who so we don't know for sure what's going on there but it's like i just because that happened doesn't i can't mm. like let that shape my theology yeah, I you think know, that can happen. I don't think it's just to characterize all people that lose people and become restorationists as that way, because most likely no one's ever studied it before. And so if you sure. if you lose somebody, all of a sudden you have a unique fascination and perspective on eternity. 
that you didn't mm -hmm. have before, most likely. And now you're looking into it. And maybe you're being like honest and having integrity in your study. And you're actually basing it off the word of God. And you go to study these other views and you intellectually mm -hmm. and emotionally come to the point where you're like, I think this view is true. I would say that that is a completely justifiable like reason to become an annihilate or to become an annihilationist or become a restorationist. Mm -hmm. um, but I think true, there are some people who don't do a lot of study who just think, well, now I'm a universalist. I think everybody's going to go to heaven. Right. Right. Which I think That's is more, I think is more popular to do that when someone dies is to go away from Christianity at all and just say, I think all paths lead to Christ and I can't understand it. I think that's much more popular than doing an actual in-depth study of the historically held views and then saying, I think scripturally, this is what the one was. If that makes sure. Sense. Yeah. All I'm saying is I, I would, if, so, if the reason they become one or the other is because of an event, I'm like, that's not, you should probably have more backing it just than your experience. You know. I'd say if you said if the reason was just because of an emotion, not because of study, then that's true. That's but an event, yeah. an event could cause study. Yeah, so if, they could if not an emotional event triggers intellectual study resulting in mind change, that's fine because you studied it and you're honest and you were like, yeah. hey, I'm going to let, let the scripture speak and let the scripture be what it is, regardless of yeah. what I think. Yeah, just so that's clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would say I lean annihilation I don't ever want to plant my my flag somewhere and say absolutely this because I don't want to. I think that's kind of like the, like so many people will say like we don't know. So I'm like, why would I, who am clearly not a PhD or a doctor, yeah. and only 26 years old, say I know absolutely what it is when yeah. people way smarter than me say we don't know absolutely what it is, and they all disagree right. with each other, but they all agree that we don't know what it is. Yeah, you know, man, the the amount of scholars that I've talked to in the last two years about this topic, like phd held professors like i think i've probably talked to close to like 20 of them or so mm -hmm. only one of them has held eternal conscious torment um and it was he was clearly not i don't want to degrade his character he was clearly very biased like it was the kind of bias where it was like you can clearly know all these other professors are much more intelligent about the debate because almost all of them are like yeah, it's not clear in the scripture, but like this seems mm -hmm. to be the most like likely thing, right? This guy was like, oh, it's completely clear. There's no other way you can read the Bible besides like it's eternal conscious torment. And so that was yeah. the only guy I ran into that was like that. All the other ones were like, man, it makes way more sense scripturally and philosophically for annihilation or for restoration to be true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if that's always been the case and just like normal, like everyday Christians just didn't know about it or if this is some kind of like, late stage revival of the the view among scholars i don't really know because yeah. of the landscape yeah i've been thinking it's, it's kind of i wouldn't be surprised if it was like some late stage uh re re revival or yeah mm -hmm. uh of this um these two views because of the access to information we have via the internet so there might be a scholars sure. who have been That's doing true. it for so long but their audience was only this big because yeah. most people probably thought they were crazy you know and now yeah you have like the internet where all these scholars can get together and you realize, Oh, wow. Like, well, if you have all these small little audiences, but then they all get to get together and you realize, Oh, mm -hmm. it's a bigger, and there's more scholars and all these people who only had access to maybe a couple seminary students at a time, or maybe a couple hundred every year now have access to hundreds of thousands of people on YouTube or billions of mm -hmm. people on YouTube. And so definitely would think that the age of information has definitely helped it resurface. Um, yeah. And in that you get people who are like 
15 minute scholars who do a little bit of research and then they go into their cage stage and they're like right. raging against everything. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about um, Annihilation? Uh, just because we got that little tangent about the, um, the emotional thing, I just want to restate that I think something that lends itself to Annihilation that's really powerful in the Bible is this promise of eternal life only to the saved. And then it says the Bible in the Bible says that um, Satan and his angels and those who were not found in the book of life were cast into um, the lake of fire, which is a second death or something like that in Revelation. And the idea of a second death being like when you die here, you're done. Second death, done. And the punishment for and I don't think that you just die and poof, you're evaporated. There's and you're just done, which although if that's what God wants to do, yeah. God's just everybody that's of Christ goes to hell, like biblically, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 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 I just think that your pun. I do think there is a physical tormenting that happens for as long as God feels is just for you to endure until you end up evaporating in a sense, you know, kind of like a puddle is there. Some puddles are bigger than other puddles, but all puddles evaporate eventually and there's nothing yeah. left. So kind of like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any other points you um, want to but- make? No, that's it. You want to get into the Bible verses and philosophical ideas and, and discuss yeah. our... Just because there. we're talking about um, conditional immortality right now, I was just going to respond to that from my view. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Um, I would say definitely. Like there, it, immortality is only ever offered to people who are in Christ, right? It's only ever offered to people who accept him and are forgiven by him. Um, I would say that's true. And that doesn't contradict in a restorationist view because there's no one who will ever live in their sins for eternity outside of God. So there's no one who needs eternity outside of God because everybody that's ever going to ever exist will have eternity with God. So there's, there's no individual that will ever need to be eternal outside of him. And so I would say all those verses don't have any contradiction within the uh, restorationist view either. Say that, say that again in a little bit, you said, because no one's outside of God, no one can exist. No one can suffer eternally because the bible only speaks about um human beings um in immortality in an immortality sense as people who have followed christ like they've gained immortality because they follow christ because they've been sanctified by him Um, yeah i would say that doesn't conflict at all with restorationists because there's no human that will ever exist that will need to live for eternity outside of christ every human being will accept christ and will be mm. eternal. And there's no human being that's going to have a problem of living forever outside of Christ because no human being will live forever outside of Christ. And so I don't gotcha. think it conflicts at all. Do you think restoration is closely tied to purgatory? I don't know a lot about purgatory. Maybe you do. What do you, what do you mean? Why would it be tied to purgatory? Because purgatory is kind of like a waiting room. And it's, as far as I understand it, I don't know a lot about it. Maybe I'm totally butchering it. But I, my understanding is that it's like this waiting room awaiting either judgment or awaiting salvation. Do you think it's just a like purgatory in the sense of like you're waiting for your okay. salvation? I think most just... Christians, most Christians believe in a waiting place. It's what the Old Testament calls Sheol and Hades, right? It's the place that most yeah. people go to await judgment. Uh, that Unless you soul little sleep. Girls and boys. Uh, yeah, there's lots of views about soul sleeping till then, till then too. And it's, people have arguments whether like you would only soul sleep if you're going to heaven or if you're only going to soul sleep if you're going oh, to hell or like, and stuff like that. It's, it's debated. I think, I, I think, think everyone uh, soul sleeps. Yeah, yeah, that was, that's been my view for a while too. Um, but then there's, there's a lot of verses about people going to a waiting place 
or to like a, not a great place and then christ yeah. going there on the third day when he dies right or going there yeah. for three days when, when he dies um yeah apparently purgatory is not a great place though catholics like in the early church were like purgatory is bad you don't want to yeah go you're there. going you're going there to pay for your sins yeah so that doing. kind of would be it sounds a little bit like or is it kind of like purgatory is for the saved that you have to work off your bad well, works and but it's different in a restorationist view you're not working mm-hmm. off anything when it comes to like you being punished like you're going to a place that is outside of god's presence which is a terrible terrible place right you never mm-hmm. want to go to a place outside of god's presence you're not being like you're not being like manipulated into accepting christ right because it would mm-hmm. it would make it sound like you get this life to make a free will choice and then then you go to hell and you get punished until you decide i don't want to be punished anymore i'm gonna choose christ right yeah like it's not uh it's not like a you're serving time for the things you've done and eventually you're going to get let out and be able to go back to heaven. It's like, okay, you're going to realize your desperation for God and you're going to choose him, right? You're not going to be like mm-hmm. coerced into um, like burning forever. And so you're like, I don't want to burn forever. So I'm going to choose Christ, right? I think it'll genuinely be like, this is what the outside of God's presence looks like. And maybe you'll stew in it for a while. I don't know how it works, right? But I think you'll yeah. get another chance to explain Except Christ, who's the only way to salvation again. That would be the gotcha. view of, of of restoration. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people have very different views about how that works because it's not talked about a lot. It's because it's not true. Um, anyways, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Those tease. Um, yeah. So some of these verses, uh, I I want to get into that we talked about because I, I was starting to get into it, and you're like, wait, let's wait on that. Yeah. Since we're on philosophy, you want to just go over the last, like one last philosophical thing we talked about for uh, a total conscious torment, uh, or sorry, eternal conscious torment, where um, like um, God can do what he wants kind of a thing. Oh yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. um, That also with like an infinite creator that you sin against also denotes an infinite punishment, like both of those things before we go into it. Okay, so let's talk about those before, for sure, for sure. Um, Yeah, like I said, like first. Um yeah the i'm in hell and i'm incurring i'm sinning continually i just don't i don't in my mind i'm like i don't know what the sin you're committing in heaven or in hell is you know maybe the sin is the hate for god but you're being punished for you so that, i guess they would say yeah you're, it's for the hate of god i the think just it's disagree. just as much speculation as anything. yeah right yeah. i just disagree it's like there's not you can say that but you don't have a lot to go off of for that it's like an argument made up to defend their view, which makes sense. We all do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, I just disagree. I'm like, you know what? That's what you think. I don't really have a, like my counterpoint is just like, no, like your punishment. Yeah. And I would just rely on the scriptures that talk about the second death where it's just like your punishment for not believing in Jesus or not. And, and for forgiveness of sin is that you don't get to partake in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And therefore you're over there and just, and I think that right. also holds God's mercy at the same time as justice equally, where it's like you're justly paying for your sin while God's mm-hmm. being merciful to not keep you in it forever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the uh, idea what, about, oh, go ahead. I was going to talk about God can do whatever he wants. Morally. Yeah, I was just about to transition there. Yeah. I would say that part of the sentiment is true. Like the God creating this world he created out of who he is, right? And so in the sense of he is who he is and he's going to do what he's always going to do is true. And if that's what you mean by he can do whatever he wants, then that's true. 
Mm-hmm. But I think the sense of like that we think God can do whatever he wants with us isn't necessarily true because if God is morality and he didn't just like make it up or doesn't point to it, like the Utero Fro Dilemma talks about, if he is yeah. morality and he's given us that morality, whether we've chosen to suppress it or not, right? If it's, if it's clearer to us-ish in society what that morality is, um, how can how can God claim to go against his own morality? So I don't think he can do whatever he wants because obviously he still has to stick to his own character, right? And Unless so whatever own, he wants is who Within he his is. character. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So yeah, so he can't, he absolutely cannot deny himself. Yeah, but so that's why what, I want to make yeah. that distinction. Like yeah. you have to say he can't do whatever he wants because he can't go against his character because that's impossible for Sure, God he can't lie. Yeah, he can't lie. Right, he has to stay within his character because his character is everything. It's all that right. is moral is, is right, what he right, is. Right. So if he was went outside of his character, he would be immoral technically. And so I don't think God can do anything mm-hmm. that's immoral. And if he's given us his true character and true vision of his character, then by him going outside of that character, he'd also be doing something he can't do. So I don't think God can just do whatever he wants to make it clear. I think he has to stick within his own nature of morality, which he seems to have also said he's given us an image of, right? Yeah, I would say we're probably looking at it in different ways where, which is understandable. But when I say like God can do whatever he wants, I'm thinking like, I come with the presupposition that God doesn't go outside of his character. Because if you think about that, that's impossible. He can't, you can't go outside what you are, you know? Mm. Um, So God will never deny his character. In his character, he executes whatever he wants to do because it's who he is. And and so anything he executes is a reflection of his character. So yeah. if eternal conscious torment was true or is true, that's a reflection of his character in some regard. You know, mm. maybe we don't perfectly see it or understand it right now, but whatever happens that God initiates is within his realm of his character. And when I say God can do whatever he wants, I'm more or less coming from the idea that people are mad at God for the way things are but it's like well you don't get to like you know the whole romans example like you're, you're clay you don't get to tell the potter what to do type type mm. of deal i think that's good but i think that you can make moral objections to total conscious or eternal conscious torment that are valid that state mm-hmm. that god is going against his own like character of morality by doing that and not that that has to be true, but I think the arguments are still good. And so that yeah. would be an argument of God can't just do whatever he wants. He has to stay within his character. And so that would render that point a little suspect. In my mind. What would be one of those arguments that you're saying would, uh, that you can make about eternal conscious torment that you just talked about? Yeah, well, this goes into the uh, infinite sin kind of argument that we talked mm. about in the beginning. Um, I think that's ridiculous just in my own <laughs> estimation of it and from from every from every like uh uh philosophy scholar that i've heard talk about it like it's it's not how we t- think about punishment at all you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like i don't get you get you get punished for whatever the the like law was about the punishment that you or, or about the crime that you committed right it's not about like oh, you, you sinned against someone who was more wealthy, so you get a worse punishment. Or you sinned against someone who has higher status or higher class, so it's a worse punishment, right? right. But of course, it's, it's a little bit different because you're talking about um, 
Oh God. We're thinking about an, an infinite being versus a finite being, right? Um, but I don't think that those come into play at all because the thing is there's a there's a punishment for the type of crime you committed. The type of crime you committed was a finite thing. You could never commit an infinite crime, right? You're literally committing finite crimes. So for you to be able to say that you have to be punished infinitely, you have to commit something infinite, which is impossible to do because only God is infinite. You can, you're only capable of doing things that are finite. So there's no way for you ever to do something, to sin in some way that is not, that is not finite. So if all of your sins are finite, then they deserve a finite punishment as well, right? Yeah, um, I've heard that argument too. I think that's much more logically consistent. Um, I think it's, you got, I don't want to, I want to speak well about this. Um, I just don't think it's, it's logically consistent to say that because you sinned against like if you're saying you're sinned against an infinite God, the sin is the thing that needs to be punished, right? The infinite God part is a, a thing about God's character. God is always just, right? That is the thing about his character. But the sin you did wasn't the infinite mm. thing. God is the infinite thing. You need to be punished for the finite thing that you did. And so yeah. there's, there's a connection in my mind there. So if someone was to say, like, um, God needs to punish someone uh, infinitely for their mm. finite crime, I'd say that's not morally consistent with um interesting i think who god projects himself to be in scripture and so i don't think that um i don't think that you can just say god can do whatever he wants because i think there are moral things that god sets up for us to be wrong that i think are just his character and that if he did them they would also be wrong like we shouldn't rape if god raped god would be going against his character right yeah like he's he's given us an image of what morality yeah he definitely can't do that i'm just saying like if he could like if God can do whatever he wants, then he could do that. And so sure, that's okay. what I'm trying to define more of like I God can't do whatever he wants. Yeah. To, um, to circle to put, back to that. Yeah. To um push back on one thing you said, just play devil's advocate. You said that um, you know, the sin you sin finitely, so you can't be punished infinitely. Do you think that so one of the translations and understanding of the Greek word Ionis when it comes to mm. me translating everlasting? or ages upon ages is one of the defenses of annihilationism or uh, restoration is that Ionis is the length is determined by the subject it's applied to. So it's like an adjective oh, word. Definitely. Right. Yes, it is. So it's like when you Defined say by the subject, God, yeah, yeah. God is Ionis, you know, Ionis means eternal and infinite because mm. God is eternal and infinite. Whereas mm. our life is not eternal or infinite. Love this point. Unless, yeah. Yeah. So therefore, like Ionis for humans means differently than Ionis for um, right. God, right? right? Do you think it could be the same thing with sin where the sin is applied to the subject where a sin against God is infinite because God is infinite, whereas a sin against a human is finite because humans are finite? Yeah, if, if the word Ionios was used in the, in the context of a sin against God, you, are you sure like could use it that way? But I don't think there is a place in the Bible where that happens. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but that'd be an interesting thing to look into. I, I don't think it exists anywhere. I mean, there's lots of times where God talks about sinning against him, but whenever it talks about people who are sinners or something, um, it just talks about them, them sinning, which is a finite thing, and then mm-hmm. them reaping the reward of a long time of punishment, right? Or yeah, but do you, punishment. And so you would, yeah, have to, you, you would have to have some kind of verse where it was like, you sinned ionosly against, against God 
now you're going to reap Ionis like punishment. Well, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm trying to think like even get rid of the word Ionis and the example, just replace it with sin. So like mm -hmm. God is Ionis, God is eternal, but mm -hmm. then against God you sin. So the sin, because it's against God is now eternal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so necessarily because you have to do two logical jumps to get there. Whereas the first jump is obvious because how the word works in Greek, the subject denotes how long of a time it is or how severe or how, yeah, just the length of the time yeah, that you want yeah. to give to that thing. Like so if, big it's, building, if it's God, big person. Yeah. yeah, if it's God, but you, you're making a big jump to all of a sudden say something that a human being does because it's in connotation to God is now eternal. It's just too big of a jump, I think, philosophically or even hmm. uh, linguistically to make. Right. Well, that's the thing. That I don't sense. know. Because if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to say that, if you're going to say that, then hell has to be eternal because hell is something that is because of sin that has to be eternal, which means there's no discussion. It's not about restoration or annihilation. It's only like, it would, it would only make sense that eternal conscious torment is true. If that jump is true. Right. I don't know how the Greek language works. So I'd love to talk to one of our friends who knows the Greek language better to, it, to it see can't, about that. It can't, it can't yeah. be that way because the scholars that I've talked to about that word, um, they've said exactly mm -hmm. that, that if okay. it's talking, if it's not talking about God, there's almost nothing else that means eternal about that word. It almost always just means a long time because the only thing yeah. you can think of in those ways would be something like God that is eternal, right? right. Everything else, they wouldn't think of in a way of like eternality like that. And so they wouldn't denote mm -hmm. that kind of meaning to it. So to make that jump would mean that people in the first century thought that sitting against, uh, sitting against a, uh, an infinite God would denote an infinite punishment and they would always view hell as infinite, which isn't right. what they viewed it as. So I right. wouldn't say it's probably how it should be viewed, but it's possible. Yeah. Uh, what do you, people who believe restoration, how do you guys interpret um, when Jesus says all sins will be forgiven except the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Um, the same way, like in the episode that we did about it, like you're not saved if you do it. Okay. You're someone who, yeah, like, but you can. So you're just not. Yeah, come, it's like you're just not saved, but you can't yeah, be saved. Not, yeah, but you like you physically for the the person that is like not being saved, they were never saved in the first place. Like it was these Pharisees that mm -hmm. were saying God is a demon, right? Or he's doing things like with the the yeah right. um, with demons or the power of demons, right? Um, and so they were never saved in the first place. They're not losing their salvation. Nothing like that was happening. So I don't necessarily see a problem there. For sure, sure. It just yeah. popped in my head yeah interesting um, for sure yeah um but yeah, yeah. i think you can hop on to some yeah, verses yeah. now if you want yeah let's go to the verses this is a great conversation it's a really fun podcast yeah um do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to resurrection life and those who have done evil to resurrection judgment again mm. that's jesus and john 5 28 to 29 yes. um people are going to hell judgment That's yeah true. you're going to hell hell means yep. suffering and then evaporating or being annihilated in my opinion <laughs> it's just like it's like that's non-compromise all views can say that yep we affirm that yeah like that's just the bible like everybody's going to hell but we're trying everybody? to figure out how <laughs> oh sorry everybody that does everybody. Podcasts going to hell. everybody's man, going to hell amazing. you heard it here first <laughs> that's something you definitely don't hear in church yeah <laughs> um no, let's take one of your verse. verses dude i don't even remember which ones i read you should read the john I just one, read one i i know i wanted to respond to that yeah which one the john verse 
that you read? John 5? That's what I just read. Oh, no, uh, I, read was, Corinthian. I read Corinthians uh, at the very end. Oh, uh, okay. Read that one. About I think it was uh, the righteous one. will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're talking or about the, that. Uh, probably for, you're probably thinking of either Revelation or Thessalonians. One, uh, the Revelation verse says... Please go uh, to the smoke. Okay. I'll just read a, the whole Revelation 14 again. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured full into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, night or day, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, there's a lot of imagery there. And what the yeah. Bible is trying to, or what God is trying to get you to understand is that the thing that is going to happen in hell, not awesome, not good. Don't want to be there. Now, does it mean that there's physically <laughs> like, you're going to be in the presence of God the whole time. And he's like burning you on this altar and the smoke of like, of their, uh, of this judgment will never end. Um, not necessarily. I mean, the, obviously the word Ionios there is, doesn't mean everlasting. It's how we translate it. But I think the imagery is really important. And it would, it would think it'd be a little silly to say that the imagery is exactly what's going to happen. What's exactly going to happen is um, the point of all of that imagery, right? Which is not good things are going to happen to people who follow the beast, right? Or to people yeah. that go to hell, right? That like go that way on the judgment day. You know what I mean? Yep. And I just looked, uh, it says ion and yeah. something ion again. It's like, the same it's ion twice just twice. Ion, yes. yeah yeah um but yeah the whole thing there about like yeah they'll never have rest that's where i'm like no I, you, like you said it, it probably just means that you know bad things are going to happen and it's interesting because this is not talking about all people who don't believe in jesus mm -hmm. you know now you could yeah. argue it does say that because you know there's an interpretation that the beast and uh the it's fo and following the beast means like you know mark on the forehead or right hand means like intellectually agreeing with the system that's mm -hmm. antichrist and like actively helping it right so if that's your interpretation then sure then people who aren't saved would all fit in that category but mm -hmm. if we're going to read this literally the only people who are in torment forever and ever and have no rest are those who follow the beast so that's only a small amount of people compared to the I still think it's people. I still think it's most well understand in, in context as what hell is going to be like um right uh yeah well I'm just saying it's like it's interesting that this doesn't say everyone who doesn't believe this just says those who follow yeah. the beast which for them yeah for but the, there's many other torment. points in the bible where it does claim anybody who like is still in yeah. sin will reap yeah. those same things basically the description right. is very similar in the, in yeah. the other verses as far as annihilation goes I think they have no re i mean you could say are you resting if you're annihilated i'm like well resting denotes life so i mean i would say no. for for both of our cases it's the same argument because we can read this verse in a million other places not a million but like in a, a several no. other places in the bible yeah. where nothing is going to ever end or like the worm never dies or the fire is never quenched or um yeah and i think the worms yeah, right? don't die sure yeah. the worms don't have to die you do. <laughs> right but it's, really? it's clear imagery for like you're going to be burning like for or not burning but like these bad things that are happening yeah. yeah they're suffering for a long time 
Now, from all the scholars I've talked to, it doesn't seem like that necessarily means forever and ever. It's clear imagery to try to get you to understand like how severe this punishment is going to be. Right? Yeah, for sure. Because sure. the, the word they use isn't an eternal one. Yeah. Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 5 through 9. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, which you are suffering. I'm going to skip um, to seven. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Don't want to be one of those people. I would say, yeah, you are, you're suffering eternal destruction. When you destroy something, it's done. It's destroyed. Yeah. What a, like you know yeah. like if i if you have a really nice guitar and i destroy it it's done there's it's only done. you can be destroyed one time yeah might take a long time for me to destroy it but if i put it through a wood chipper you know it's like you can't get that back and even in, for the restorationist view it's like they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the lord because they disobeyed mm-hmm. and when they decide they want to stop disobeying and they realize how good god is oh you know, it can still they be will suffer. They will suffer on ages and ages away from the presence of God. Is what that verse yeah. says. Does it eternal destruction? Let me look up. Uh, let me go through my little, my little uh, Bible here. Ooh. Second Thessalonians. What I say? One, eight or something like that. I have it on here. I think it's one five through ten. Uh, That's the one that I have. Yeah. Yeah, we'll suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That's in ten verse nine i think yeah 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 that is nine eternal the word yep ionis okay well there's no other words that are used in the new testament so it's i read uh that's what it's gonna be in one of my um the articles i read this guy claimed that um the word ionis was only used three times in the new testament and i was like i was like i don't we've gone through three already dude it's used it's used in one sentence three times at times (laughs) i'm like i was like i don't think this guy he's not very right yeah <laughs> you know um yes what about, i wanted that daniel verse what did you guys say what did you say about what was a daniel verse i really like that mm. one daniel 12 1 through 2 yeah um um at that time shall arise michael is this the right one the great prince wait hold on i think i just read the end of it maybe okay uh, yeah waking to everlasting contempt everyone whose name shall not be found written in the book um, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and some to everlasting life and, uh, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Yeah. Yep. Again, yeah. you're waking up and you're like, oh, dang, I'm being annihilated. Yeah. I'd love to talk about real fast um, a, a point that I think has been brought up a lot, but is addressed a lot in the literature when you read about these kind of views is the sort of duality that's talked about in scripture of eternal death and eternal life like being next to each other in a lot of verses Mm -hmm. right like this one says eternal life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and oftentimes in the new testament it's how it's talked about there's quite a few different places where it talks about these kind of people will go to eternal destruction and these kind of people will go to eternal life right um the exact same sentiment is used when it talks about um or or is used when we think about how the word Ionius means, because that's the word that's used there, right? That what is the subject of heaven, right? 
the subject of the beginning of everlasting life is denoted by God. And so that place is eternal and one is not denoted by God. So that place isn't eternal. Um, there's a lot of other points about it, but that's one of the main ones that I've seen a lot of scholars mm -hmm. make that there can be two things stated in the same sentence that don't have to be the same size, if that makes sense. Like I yeah. could call, I could call a mouse large and I could call um, a building large and they're not the same size things, right? Because they're very right. different things. Even though I could say in the same sentence, this mouse is large, just like this building is large. Or like some people will have large mice and some people will have large houses, right? right. And it's right. like, you know, they're not the same thing, but they're both using the same word large. So right. linguistically, there isn't necessarily a problem there. It's just how we think about it a lot. Um, could this mean that they are the same? Yeah, definitely, possibly. It could mean they're the same. Um, but that also could mean they're not. It just depends on the, the context you read that word in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just wanted to make that. I quick. think, yeah, that's one of the bigger things that got me that like helps, I think, the eternal uh, restoration in a sense of mm -hmm. like the subject of what Ionis is applied to. Because yeah. I apply it to like, when you're like, oh, destruction, eternal destruction. I'm like, yeah, it is. You're, you're Once you're done, you're done eternally. Yeah. Which I yeah. think I, doesn't necessarily fit with, uh, which probably has some conflicts with the word structure. Yeah. I think the strongest arguments for eternal conscience or for um, restoration within the Bible, um, there are a lot of verses that are, I think the Bible is very, very compatible scripturally in what it says with um, that view. But I think some of the strongest points for it, besides the philosophical ones and the ones about God's character that I think are also very strong, are, is, is this like, I think, I think, um, no, Steve Greg didn't talk about it. I think uh, George talked about it. It's this, uh -huh. um, this like three options question, one, right? And it says one, um, three things, these are three things that Christians almost always believe about God, right? Is that um, God's will is always accomplished, number one. Number two, God has all power, right? And then three, that some people will spend eternity separate from God, right? Now, most people believe all three of those things, mm -hmm. but the problem is that you have, you can only choose one. Um, and I don't think this is um, a false dilemma. I think it's a solid dilemma um, because God's will clearly in scripture. You could never say this isn't the case. Clearly God's stated will. In Unless scripture. you're Calvinist and you make up the two wills. Exactly. Yeah. Unless, That's not so you fair. fabricate two wills, which, <laughs> which I don't agree with. Um, you have to say that God's will is that everybody is saved, right? Many, many times, Old and New Testament, God's will is that everybody's saved. So if God's will is that everybody is saved and God has all power, then the foregone conclusion is that everybody would be saved, right? So then this one has to be false. So if that's what you want to say, then that's awesome. That's my view. I think God has all power and that God's will is always accomplished and God's will is everybody's saved, right? If you want to say that everybody is not saved and some people will spend eternity in heaven or in hell, then you have to choose one of these two things to forfeit. Either God doesn't have all power and couldn't make everybody go to heaven, right? Which is a very un-Calvinist thing to say, right? Um, or, or God's will is not always accomplished, right? And um, that's clearly not scriptural either. Like God's will is clearly always accomplished biblically because God says it is. And if it's not, then God's a liar because in the well, Bible I think it there says is... that God's will is always accomplished. Well, I, I don't know off the top of my head the Bible, where the Bible says his will is always accomplished, but I do know there's a part in Deuteronomy where um, 
these people are sinning and, and doing some heinous things and God says, which I never had it in my heart that they do, which lends itself to say that sometimes God's will doesn't happen in light of his ability to give humans free will. Hmm. Yes. I can find that verse for you real quick if you would like, but. No, I, I know it. I know it. I'm just, uh, I'm on desiring God now. Another, uh, oh, the first thing is the John Piper uh, sermon. Of course. I'm going to quote uh, for the Desiring John. God is, the whole, is all John Piper's thing. Um, I think it's, I want to say, I don't think it's Deuteronomy 6, but it's Deuteronomy something. I'm trying to find the verse that they quote in this. Where is it? I remember um, hearing about it because uh, it was on a Mike Winger video and I was like, holy cow, that's a big deal. Let's see. Mm. What do I want to look up? Deuteronomy. Wait, well, I can't find it, but there are many verses in the Bible that talk about God's will always being accomplished over and over. And so that's why I think it's one of the strongest arguments for um, for restoration because I don't uh-huh. want to sacrifice. I don't want to sacrifice God's will always being done by creating something that i don't think is very exegetically well backed up in scripture of like Mm. god somehow has two wills now and i just have to sort of philosophically infer that and not necessarily like find it in scripture um right or or i have to believe that god doesn't have all power like which is something that's very like very very like progressive libertarian or very progressive armenian would maybe believe of like they would say well god can never go against my free will which he clearly does in the bible um and so he can't accomplish his will if i don't want him to because it's against my free will right i don't think that's, that's such a strong either. state that if people make that argument dude it's crazy right what and the, fa- the fact is that god hugely does violate foolish our thing yeah but also like to say god can't affect me is like i almost want to be like who do you think you are like yeah what yeah so i don't want to i don't want to get rid of either of those two things i would much right. rather get rid of that some people will spend eternity um, apart from him and yeah not violate the other two presuppositions right yeah it makes it much more sense to me also it, um i think that there's a point in the bible several different places where god says that every knee or all flesh yeah okay um, that's that's one of the things that you guys have that, that i understand yeah will yeah. will bow before god and literally the word bow is never ever used in scripture in a non-voluntary way there's never a forced bowing or anything right. like that the word is never used that way it's always voluntary and so i don't know how you explain that away if you're not if you're not well, a restorationist yeah. you know well, what I mean? something that's yeah something that's interesting is because i was looking at this verse for it's the isaiah 66 that you quoted earlier yeah, but it's also it's also in Revelation and one other place. Matthew? Yeah, but it it, it says that though, right? And it says, um, and it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord, and they will go forth and look. But this is they, they go forth and look on the corpses of men. So clearly there's dead people there, you know? So mm. we could probably look at the Revelation verse and it probably like doesn't have this problem. But it's yeah, like, well, the revelation, yeah. yeah, go ahead. It doesn't have that one in, in the revelation. Okay. It's all, it's all humanity. Right. Okay. Well, I guess, yeah, you get the resurrection, you know? Yeah. At the, at yes. the judgment. But, but, but good yeah, point that's for the Isaiah one. Yeah. But that's something that like, I do understand. Cause like the thing that got me like kind of geeked out about uh, restoration is that the Bible says that he's reconciling all things to himself. And I was like, mm-hmm. dang man, like say what you want about eternal restorationists. They, they don't have to explain away that. They just yeah. 
there's a lot you don't have to explain away when you like that a little more. Now, I'm, I think I'm painting restoration in like, I definitely believe it kind of a light. I think there are definitely places in the Bible where it's hard to understand. But I think there are much, much harder things to interpret on the other two views than restoration. Yeah, will, will you say that again? The internet kind of cut out. Um, I think all three views have very hard things to um, understand scripturally when it comes to them. But I think restoration has the least amount of things to explain because it doesn't violate the character of God as much as the other ones possibly do do. Um, yeah, which is why I lean more towards it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to believe um, in any of the three, a lot of history on all three sides and a lot of Bible verses on all of them. Is there anywhere else you want to go before we maybe close out the show? We're coming on two hours here. Oh, really? Wow. Um, I mean, all, we, I, we could keep going. No, I got to work out. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I think that this is such a fascinating conversation. And I think I speak about it in a very, we both speak about it in a very like, this view can be kind of silly way or like how could you explain this kind of verse kind of way it's it's pretty clear from all the conversations that i've had with different scholars and that you've had um in the books that i've read that people have very strong opinions about this but that most people are willing to admit there's not a lot in the bible that is made explicitly clear about it and there's a lot that's up for debate and so you get to choose what you think is most consistent about scripture which you think is most uh, which is most consistent about philosophy and which is most consistent about the character of god that he sets up and what he says about punishment even which i guess i can talk about mm -hmm. in a second too um and you get to decide what you think god is going to do in the end times and then we're just going to freaking throw the dice up and see what happens. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can live your life according to like what your genuine convictions about scripture is. And then we're all going to find out together when we get to the judgment day. You know what or I mean? When we're pointing at each other. Like I told you, I told you. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another thing that I just want to explain really fast before we end about is about punishment that I just mentioned. Um, uh -huh. I, I don't know how we could view punishment in any other light than being redemptive like we as humans almost never punish for anything that's not redemptive and i think that's also god's heart there's no hey, version of punishment to, in the old testament yes there is I will, I will. yeah it doesn't seem that there's any version of punishment in the old testament that isn't restorative in nature anyway every time god um destroys israel or um punishes them or wipes them out or sends a plague on them or anything there's a lot of people that die, but the point is to purify the body of the bride of Israel and restore her back to a place where she's repentant and following God, right? So the purpose of the punishment is always to do a restoration, right? And so do I you don't think necessarily... there was restoration for Canaan, though, or Canaan? Because they were, I mean, they weren't the bride of Christ, really. Yeah, but they were. Just, I, mean, I think it was them that was that was commanded to destroy. They were never genocided. They're like one chapter later, they exist again. Well, they were. There was one that was like kill the men, the women, the children, the animals. Maybe it was the Canaanites or the Philistines. Yeah, them. but they they weren't genocided That's because like they probably, exist. Well, no, probably it says because that, they disobeyed. It says diso that the Israelites disobeyed. No, it doesn't say they disobeyed when they were. That's with. Uh, um, that's what Joshua later on, I'm pretty sure. Um, when they do the Canaanite genocide, they kill everybody, and God says they did a good job. 
Okay, so that would, but you just said it's not genocide. Yeah, it's not. The, the language clearly, in my opinion, the language there is not yeah. about genocide. It's, it's speaking very, very heavily about like how much like God hates the are. kind of sin that people are doing. Because it's either that or God is confused and they weren't genocided because they, I mean, they weren't. Because they, yeah, read, God talks about again. them a verse later or a chapter later, right? Yeah. So it I must would, not yeah. be about strictly just a genocide because it, I mean, God says they were, but then they weren't. So we got to, we got to figure out a way to figure right. out what that verse means. No matter what. I have to read it think, again. It's been a minute. I don't think that that is a commentary on God's just or God's punishment not being restorative. It, it mm. seems like if you look at just the overarching vision of scripture, it's like God punishes to restore over and over and over. And eventually like man, it's clear to man that they can't do it on their own. He sends Christ, who's the ultimate yeah. restoration for all of humanity, right? Who forgives all sins. And then I think that paints a pretty clear picture of like God's version or vision for punishment is to restore. Um, Interesting. Could God possibly have two different versions of punishment? I don't necessarily think so. Because what would be the, the purpose of just punishing for fun or punishing just for destruction or something? Possibly. Well, it would be punishment for justice, you know, I, cause you say like, there's no punishment without redemption. I think, mm. yeah, every time there is not, I don't know about every time. Cause I, I don't want to, there's a payment a, like that a brings statement. justice for sure. Well, there's the idea of that, like they get, they're punished for their sins because they did wrong, but then God keeps a remnant that he promises them redemption. Right. Mm. And, but I would say the punishment is not maybe you could say it's for, like you said, purifying, which I would say, yeah, like he's cleaning house. He's saying, mm -hmm. hey, you who are not truly Israel, get out. But pure Israel, real Israel, we're keeping, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what yeah, I would just say, well, it's spiritual Israel, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Paul. Uh, but I would say it's, I would say his punishment was because of he had to punish sin because he can't stand sin and sin requires a just payment. And so it's the requirement of payments. Like, Hey, you did this. Here's Cause he talks about in Deuteronomy when he's like, here's all the blessings that will happen. If you obey me, if you disobey me, here's all the curses that will happen. And the curses aren't, it's not like I'll curse. You. And it says like, yeah. And when you were, when you repent, I'll, I'll forgive you and I'll remove this. When you repent, I'll forgive yeah. you. Right. But I would say the punishment is because of justice. I don't know if I'd say the punishment was for, redemption mm. but there was a promise of redemption in the just punishment mm. yeah, i don't think it has to be Which either or still maybe works it, for it you can, it can easily be both like yeah if i if i'm like steal from someone there's an essence of i need to pay them back for justice to be done but i also need to serve so that i'm like changed for my actions right so there's, mm -hmm. there's two portions of it needs to be made right the crime needs to be made right but also I need to change so that I don't do that again. Right. Which yeah. is where like the restorative sure. aspect on, on both, on both parties sides. Okay. Comes in. Like these people who are sinned against need to be like brought restoration and I need to be brought restoration or, or change or whatever I call sure. it. Sure. I think it's an interesting philosophical thing to think about. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, what brings us probably to two hours? I don't know. Well, maybe just under, we, we started recording around, 7 30 yeah. and we talk maybe probably we'll close to an hour and a half i don't have the timer on yeah. here right now so yeah um cool but yeah so this concludes our series on hell 
the mm. three views um if you made it this far this is probably like close to six hours in this study over the course of three weeks um yeah. congratulations and thank you for sticking around and mm-hmm. being here clearly uh we're on zoom now it's because i left hawaii a while ago and we're finally getting around to doing this but yeah. have been really excited to do it um really we were really excited about this hell uh series because we've been teasing at it for a long time it's something that we're passionate about and, and mm-hmm. intrigued about more of like also like this is really fascinating stuff. It's really exciting to talk to people about um, yeah. and kind of like mess with your friends about like, oh, you yeah. think theology is like, it's like my friends are like talk about, oh, I love theology. It's great. I'm like, wait till you hear about the different views of hell. And they're always like, yeah. what? I'm like, oh, I know. Yeah. And there's so much we didn't go into that we can go into later on if yeah. we want to do. There's, there's so much to the study. It's awesome. Yeah. There's books and books and books and books that have been written on this stuff. There were just yeah. barely scratching the surface. So if you guys want some sources to go to, there's, um, um, George Saris that we interviewed, there's Steve Gregg that we interviewed. There's another book called The Four Views of Hell, which is by four different authors sharing their perspective. There's a number of different books. There's Rethinking Hell, which is a website and I think a YouTube channel as well that defends Annihilation, all that stuff. So definitely go there. Um, Anything you want to say, Derry? No, I think I'm good. Yep. Right on. I would would take a a Jaguar and a Spear. Ooh. I, I think you could do that i think that's that's what i've always said i've always said that i was l- watching a nature channel and they were talking about hyenas and apparently they're like the strongest we talked about this before on the podcast but like the strongest bite off yeah bite for us and yeah. i think because my my expectation was i was going to give it my arm i was going to i was going to lose my arm to win the fight i was like you know you're what? an insane person i was like let it attack me because I, I have a dog so i know how dogs are just spirit i feel like i'm not good enough with a spear you get you get one shot let with a spear. It, let it walk. No, let it walk onto the spear. You're not taking any shots. You're letting. I know, it walk but if it jumps on me and I miss it with a spear, it jumps onto the spear. No, if I miss it with a spear, that's it. I can't take the spear, the six foot, seven foot thing, and turn it around. And Listen, you get one chance. I get it. I get a sword, a little dagger. I get that thing close. Just da, 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 a bunch death by a thousand cuts, and right. more like seven stab wounds. Yeah. I think you would be able to kill a hyena with a sword for sure, too. I think you yeah. do both. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Um, Alrighty. Alrighty. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for coming back, guys. Like we said, um, <laughs> tell everyone about this podcast. Uh, we got the Patreon. Please. We got we got every we got we're everywhere. Go find us. Yeah. yeah. Not everywhere. Can, we're not on it. those. You know those uh, extremely. You know Trump made his own social media account or social media. I do. Platform? Yeah. We're not do, there. Yeah. I'm not on it. Yeah, we're not there. No, we could be. We just don't want to be around our um, the boomer generation's rants. Oh. <laughs> just kidding, dude. I like. Maybe we should decentralize boomers. a little bit more. I like boomers are cool. I'm just saying, like some of them alt right, extreme right guys get insane, just like the extreme left. Maybe we should be on more of those platforms yes. though, so we can have a wide variety in case YouTube picks us off one day when we're because we're so popular, you know. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, well, when that happens, we'll just make a deal with Spotify for 100 mil. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. For you, Joe Sounds Rogan. good. We'll start to <laughs> drafting the contract now. Yeah, yeah. We'll in all our legal uh, smarts that we have. Anyways, guys, thanks for so much for um, watching the series. Let us know in the comments what you guys think about hell, um, how this mm-hmm. has helped you, all that good stuff. Derry's got to work out. I got to hang out with my family and go to sleep. It's 9 p.m. for me. So... We're going to sign off. Have a great week.
Adios, amigos. Bye. See you later.